Good morning. I like the hushed anticipation in the atmosphere, as long as it's not a frozen anticipation. Yeah, we haven't had much cold. I'll read you what I read this morning and I'll challenge you to be encouraged by it. This is, uh, starts with a passage we know. This is in Psalm 119. Thy word, O Lord, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I have sworn and will perform it, that I will keep thy righteous judgments. I am afflicted very much. Here's a part you should be able to relate to. Quicken me, O Lord, according to thy word. I like that second statement there. Quicken means to preserve, to recover, to restore, to revive, to nourish up. And I will say I'm thankful that uh, it doesn't end with I am afflicted very much. Uh, The entire point of what the Lord is doing is that we have an opportunity to be quickened. Right? That's the difference of everything that we're approaching for today in faith is that, uh, Lord, today is not going to be a great day unless you quicken me. And if you quicken me, everything else doesn't matter. Thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to be quickened again uh, by your spirit, by what you have in store for me. Uh, the, whole, the whole day should be set by just a, approaching, or uh, as we've said, offering, but uh, asking the Lord, Lord, uh, I'm just here as a mere human. It's the middle of winter, but Lord, I want to be quickened by your spirit to be Uh, aware and alive of what you're doing, what your plans are for the day. Thank you for your purpose today on Saturday to quicken me, to to enliven me, to restore me again. That needs to happen every morning. It needs to happen throughout the day. That we reach in uh, to be quickened by His Spirit. Everything changes when that takes place. Maybe the situation doesn't change, but for certain, uh, the amount of help and encouragement and enlivening uh, is is what changes, and that is uh, that's what we've gathered today to do. We've, maybe if you haven't had opportunity before, now we're going to gather, uh, reach in during the praise, during the worship, reach in to be quickened by the Lord. Amen. All right, let's gather.
I got to preach at the uh, <coughs> Ukrainian church last weekend. <coughs> I don't know if you know this. They have a different word for everything. Uh, ooh. They had a poetry reading after the message. They had a lot of things, but they had poetry reading, so a girl got up and read this poem. And actually, it turned out to be my favorite poem. Because it was all in Ukrainian. <laughs> and I tend not to like poetry, so it was great. I could feel it was really good. Um, it, it was an interesting day. We had a wonderful time with the pastor and his wife and all that. The interpreter was new at interpreting. And so... <laughs> He, every every uh, third sentence, we had to stop and figure out what I was saying. Um, I kept changing my vocabulary. Uh, fortunately, the congregation um, would shout out what I said or something. You know. Anyway, uh, you know, I think uh, the I think God has a sense of humor to put us in circumstances where actually we. Um, really uh, have no uh, no ability to avoid fixing that we have nothing to offer in, in the situation. We have no capacity. I, I didn't know, really, I didn't really know what I was going to say when I, over there, you know, I didn't know what, and I don't, you know, and I, I, I I mean, it's still a little nerve-wracking. Anytime you preach, you don't want to be up there and waste people's time. But, you know, in that group, I didn't know what... There was a few people that looked like what I said resonated on their faces, maybe three or four. Um, but uh, I, I do know this, that regardless of... <coughs> excuse me, I don't have plans to win the masses to, uh, through my preaching. I just uh, do understand one thing, that God is uh, working uh, with every single one of us where we live. And you came out a certain way and I came out a certain way. And I mean, I, the more I go, I realize that the genius of God to be able to orchestrate those things that are so... Um, specific and personal to us because really his purpose is to work in us who he is and what he is. One of my favorite Bible verses is uh, Hebrews 13 uh, and it says the, the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Hebrews 13 20 and 21. I didn't, I'm not turning, I'm just uh, reading that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant make you perfect in every good work to do his will working in you okay maybe uh, you highlight that somewhere working in you that which is well pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever I don't know about the results of anything that I do or put my hands to um, but honestly, um, 
one thing I am assured of, um, there's a lot of things I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen in the future. And we talk about what should we do because of what might happen in the future. But at the end of the day, I always liked Nelson's line when we used to talk about the stock market and investing. He said, oh Lord, send me a copy of next year's Wall Street Journal. Um, which, you know, it really underlines the point that we don't know what's ahead for any of us. Um, but there is a certainty uh, here in this verse that what actually is of the greatest significance to any of us is that God is, a, is making you perfect in every good work to do His will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ. Now, God has made a tremendous provision for every single one of us that while we're dead in sin, uh, He sent His Son, uh, and He's quickened every single one of us and cleansed us from our sin and from unrighteousness. And actually, He doesn't impute sin to us, but He does impute righteousness. And that's not based upon anything that you and I did. That's based upon what He did, right? In His great love, I think Fabian read it the other night, while we were sinners, God commended His love toward us, I think. It was something like that. And um, <clears throat> while we were enemies, God sent His Son. Well, as a matter of fact, He... Uh, sending His Son to the world was the most hostile place that He could send His Son. It was the most... Uh, it was a place that was full of enemies of God. Then that's where he sent his son. Sometimes we ought to step back and say, well, this shouldn't be happening in my life. Consider where God sent his son. And, and I know people are not always nice. And I've always thought I could walk in the spirit if people were always nice to me. Um, but people are not always nice. But consider where God sent Jesus to walk on this earth to a place where actually he knew the, the sentiment of the people would be to, at the end, kill him. Uh, now, God had a, had a transcendent purpose above all that, right? And the devils didn't know about it, uh, and, right? They said if they had known, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord. If they understood the whole plan, they don't, and they didn't. Uh, but... Step back and look at your circumstances in the light of the purpose of, of an eternal God working in you what's well-pleasing to Him. And then say, measure it up against what He did with His Son in sending Him uh, as, uh, 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 for the purpose of our redemption as a perfect sacrifice to us to deliver us from the death that was in Adam to bring us into a whole new life. God has made a perfect provision uh, for that. Um, and but that provision alone um, well without that provision nothing would be happening with us in terms of our relationship to the Lord but making that provision and coming into the awareness of that provision is just the beginning of a journey that we are on and, and that journey is actually to grow us into the place where what is working in us is is uh, genuine. And so the Bible says in 1 Peter 1, <clears throat> verse 7, that the trial of our faith is precious. And the word trial, obviously, it means proof, putting to proof or proving, but it also means genuine, genuineness. And that's really an important word to me. Genuineness. 
Um, because what God wants to show us is whether our faith, whether our trust is genuine. He does it in a certain way, too, you know. He does it with specificity. Um, it, it's encouraging that God knows our frame, on the one hand. On the other hand, it's frightening. Because he knows what we need to have, right? And um, <clears throat> so when it says the trial or the genuineness of our faith is, is, being, is, uh, is, is being worked now, um, and, and the, the way God has done this, we're in a position, as I said, where God's not imputing sin. He is imputed righteousness, so we're in right standing with him so we can relate to him. But this must be, you, you and I, I both know, and all know, that um, God is not into pretense. He is not into um, uh, the trappings of religion and, and uh, the, the, the grand statements that we make about ourselves and what we, we're going to do now, this time, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do better. Uh, he, he doesn't like, uh, and, and the church, of all the places where the, the, um, it, you find so much falsehood is in the church because there's a projection of perhaps what we should be. And when I say the church, I'm not talking about like the Ukrainian church over there on the other side of the river. Uh, I'm talking about the church of God. I'm talking about all of it, and whatever that is. And, I, you know, you and I don't know where anyone is, right? right? As soon as we say, I know where they are, uh, we find out we don't know where they are. And, uh, but so when I say the church, the, the thing that's characteristic of the church is the proclamation of something that isn't yet genuine. And that, should, that shouldn't condemn our hearts. But we know that God as a loving Father he wants the proclamations that he has sent to us to be the real, genuine thing that's working in us. That's his whole point. He wants it worked in us. And this is the most challenging thing that I've ever be, been involved in, is becoming genuinely what God wants. I mean, genuinely. I know about it. I know, I, I know a lot of stuff about it. And, and you know... I, <clears throat> There are a lot of people that are happy if you just are nice to them, and I, I being one of them. Um, but you and I know that our niceties and our, uh, our manners and our outward expression of things doesn't necessarily tell the story. And, and that, I don't say that. I, I, I would like to encourage you this morning, if I can, to, to be encouraged that what's going on in your life is for the purpose of the genuine, genuineness of God's eternal plan to be brought forth in you. That is why what happens in your life happens. And, and so there was a way he did it, the way he does it, and I think it's described over in Judges 3. Joshua. Hey. <clears throat> Yeah, I have this new Bible that I'm still, but it's like, a, you get a new Bible and it's like, it's a whole different book than you've ever seen in your whole life. 
you didn't know you've been reading your Bible the whole life, your whole life. But um, so it's on the wrong column, you know. It's not over here where it used to be. Uh, see, the passage I was I'm about to look at it used to be on the far right hand column of the right hand page. They've moved it now. It's on the second from the left column on the left hand page. Anybody else ever face that kind of a question? Yeah. Uh, anyway. So this is the this is the way this happens. Um, <clears throat> Judges three. Now these are the nations which the Lord left to prove Israel by them, even as many of Israel as had not known all the wars of Canaan, only that the generations of the children of Israel might know to teach them war, at the least such as knew nothing of it before. Uh, namely, the five lords of the Philistines, Canaanites, Sidonians, Hivites, <clears throat> uh, and they were left there to prove Israel by them, to know whether they would hearken unto the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. Um, <clears throat> so the way God uh, brings forth the genuineness of his purpose in us is through warfare. He leaves things. Well, wait a minute. Are we cleansed of all, in a position of being forgiven of our sins and cleansed of all unrighteousness? Yes, but he's left some stuff. And I don't know if that fits in with your theology. Whether or not it fits in with your theology, it does fit in with your life. And it fits in with my life. Because I, I have to have this footnote under imputation of righteousness and not being imputed with sin, I need a footnote that he's left some stuff. And what is proven out is whether there is the genuine, genuineness of my faith that's working. That would be to say, when you're in the heat of the moment, you know, we use that phrase, right? The heat of the moment. When you are being assailed, you know, the Bible says, um, in Hebrews 12.1, it calls, uh, you should lay aside every weight and the sin that besets. And, and that, if you look up the word beset, it means to harass mentally or however way. You know, it's, it's a pretty good definition there. Something that harasses us. <coughs> and, and what I find out about myself <clears throat> when I'm harassed, is, is my trust genuine? Is my faith genuine? And I, I, I have to find out again and again and again and again that what comes out of me <coughs> reveals to me whether I am standing in faith. Right? Or if I am standing in trust of a resource that just comes out of my soul. And um, <clears throat> I'd like to encourage us about the war. That God did it on purpose. Not to condemn us, but to show us how much we actually always 
always need to be in faith. He said, with all the persistence and everything that, you know, that passage, but nevertheless, will he find faith? Am I living a life of faith? Why is faith so important? Why is trust so important? Well, let me tell you the end of the story. Now, maybe I was going to read this at the very end. You know, you like to have a crescendo of a Bible verse. And the crescendo of the Bible verse is in Hebrews 2.8, where it says he has put all things under his feet. Okay, tell yourself that, would you? But don't forget the last line. I mean, put your circumstances that he's put all of that under him. All of it. Whatever assails, all the enemies, all the besetting stuff, all those thoughts that come back. <clears throat> what is a little bit discouraging is sometimes you get tripped up sometimes by the same thoughts. Because you think by now, right? By now, let's just, uh, you know, I guess something we have to realize that you and I aren't getting better. <clears throat> We are growing up into Christ, a whole new man. <clears throat> but that's not a betterment of the natural man. Okay. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. Isn't that, that, I mean, it's not, I mean, he kind of repeats it. It says it a different way in case you didn't get it the first time around. Right? You put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all in subjection under his feet, he left nothing that is not put under him. Okay? I thought I should read it again for emphasis. Uh, in case we miss it. That God has put all things under his feet, but why is faith so significant then? <clears throat> because people, <clears throat> I've heard people over the years, um, you read something like this and said, well, praise God, praise God, we're just going to skate through them. Everything's taken care of. Okay, but then there's a problem, there's a hook at the end of this verse. It is such a hook. But now, we see not yet all things under him. But now, we don't yet see it that way. Ah, that is why faith <laughs> is so important. That is why trust is so important. And um, <clears throat> this isn't a, you know, a, a war that is won because you and I try harder. It's the most exasperating thing that that I come up with and, and I will just, well, I just need to not react. Does anybody ever say that? I just need to not react. Has that helped anybody? It's never helped me. But I keep getting led into that that I just need to not react. 
And, but uh, there's a coordinate conjunction that you say, but Lord, I did, and I am. And you've put all this under your feet. All of it. <laughs> all of it. But you don't yet see it. Because he left some things there. So that you and I could be proven that what comes out is genuine. My faith is genuine. Genuine trust. So I don't have to react. Genuine. Um, so I don't want you to think that this is a lightweight war. It is a real war. But I also don't want you to think that God wants you to lose. He's raising up that great word, overcomers. People that overcome in the place of warfare. And man, it doesn't, you know, you read, you read the Pat, you know that story, it's a great story. He says, okay, um, I think it's in Chronicles. I don't have it written anywhere, but um, the battle is not yours. It's the Lord's. Isn't that great? People put that on their refrigerators all over America. Well, Christian refrigerators. What's in a Christian refrigerator? My wife would say vegetables. I would say steak. <laughs> but uh, just because the Bible says that, you know, I, you know what the thing, the rest of that passage, you've got to read the whole story because he says, okay, um, tomorrow about this time, go down and meet them. <laughs> that changes the whole game, doesn't it? Doesn't that Lord, I thought you said the battle is yours, not mine. And I appreciate you saying that. So why do I have to even be here? Why do I have to be involved? Well, you know, the truth is, it's funny if you think about it. I mean, who really is God's enemies? I mean, does God have enemies? Well, it seems like it, right? But we also know that there isn't anything that actually is a match for God. And there isn't anything that can actually resist when God intends to do. And really more the important thing is that we have enemies. We have adversaries. It says the devil is an adversary. It's a real adversary, right? Uh, those things that assault your mind, uh, those are real adversaries. And, and uh, many times they just come from the devil. I mean, uh, let me read this verse in case you forgot. Uh, your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. Whom resists steadfast where? In the faith. <laughs> He's, okay, I'll read another one. That didn't impact you. Okay, in Zechariah 3.1. He showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel in, of the Lord in filthy rags, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist and accuse him. 
it's hard when you look at yourself and you know about the besetting kinds of things that assail your mind. It's hard when you look at yourself and not frame yourself on the basis of sin. When that blind guy was healed, it's such a great story. <clears throat> because the first thing that was asked was, okay, this guy's blind. Who sinned? Him or his parents? Somebody did something. And actually, we've had that experience here. Right? Something happens. Okay. <laughs> Let's find out who did it. Right? And Jesus says, neither. What do you mean neither? You mean his parents and him never sinned? No. I don't think so. He said, this is not the reason that this is happening. The reason for the enemies is not because you are born in sin and shaped in iniquity. The reason for the enemies is that so you and I can have our faith become genuine. Genuine. So what comes out of us, even if you fall and what comes out is no good, you can get back up. And if you sin, there's a provision. That provision is in place. It doesn't leave on Tuesday. Right? If you sin, you have an advocate. If you confess your sin, He's faithful and just to forgive your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Don't frame yourself by that. Understand that the warfare, the resistance, the besetting, the anguish, the, the mental assault, the thoughts that get you, the reactions you have still, he left those things there. <clears throat> so you and I could understand <clears throat> that I cannot, I, I have no resource. No resource for the genuineness of that divine nature to come forth. I have no resource on my own to make that happen. David, in the Bible, puts it this way, which I think is really, if I can find it, I think it's Psalm 144. Psalm 144. Blessed be the Lord my strength, which teaches my hands to war and my fingers to fight. But look what it says. There's a, there's a colon in my Bible um, right after fight in verse 1. Because it needs some further explanation. Because truly, my experience and your experience isn't in the place of warfare that you feel like a mighty man of valor. 
There is a guy he called the mighty man of valor. He was the least of the least. Right? He was Gideon. You know, we all think when God said that, the angel said that, Gideon looked around to see who he was talking to, right? We all thought, think that. So there's a colon after fight. This is what David explains about this teaching our hands to war and fingers to fight. My goodness, my fortress, my high tower, my deliverer, my shield, and he in whom I trust who subdues my people under me. Lord, what is man that you take knowledge of him? Well, the son of man that you make us account of him. Man is like to vanity. His days are his shadow that pass away. Bow thy heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains, and they shall smoke. Cast forth lightning and scatter them. Shoot your arrows and destroy them. Send them from, your, from above. Rid me and deliver me out of great waters from the hand of strange children. That's been my prayer over the years. <laughs> Whose mouth speaketh vanity. And I will sing a new song, O God. Uh, it's he that gives salvation unto kings who delivers David his servant. What do you discover in the warfare? That there is only one place that you can go. There's only one deliverer. There's only one Savior. There's only one that knows how to pick me up and move me forward. There's only one that can bring forth the genuineness of faith out of this heart. What do you find out in the war? I have no place else to go. None. So, <clears throat> I'd like to encourage you that <clears throat> you don't yet see all things under its feet. But they're there. Yeah. But what's going on with us is that the Spirit of God is working in us that this faith would be absolutely genuine that what comes out of us and the war is so important because it shows us where we are there's something that bothers me so much and it's what I preach it's because of the things I say haunt me we get something new and fancy and we want to say it right say it and then you hear somebody in the congregation well, I won't talk about any of my experiences. Um, but I was watching a, a guy minister at, on, on YouTube. And he did a lot of messages on YouTube. And um, he makes a fancy statement. And you hear it through the crowd. Ooh. Ooh. Ah. Like all this uh, affirmation of the fanciness of the statement. I'm poking fun at it because my experience is that as many fancy statements as I've made, they come back only to haunt me. Because I say things like, actually this was Amy Greer's problem, she said it a couple weeks ago, the prince of this world comes and has nothing in me. And then I got up with my fanciness and said, well, forgiveness is important. At the next level, don't ever be offended. Put that on. 
you bunch of sheep. Um, but let me say something about worrying. What Paul said to Timothy. This charge, 1 Timothy 1.18, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies, according to the promises, according to the things that we've all declared, which went before on you, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. You know what? Don't shy away from the promises of God. Don't shy away from saying, where am I going? I am going to the place where the prince of this world comes and he has nothing in me. Don't shy away from saying, Lord, the goal here is that I would not be offended. There are some high watermarks in the Bible. Of course, Jesus not being the least. <laughs> but Stephen, when he was being stoned, I mean stoned, rocks, hitting you. I, did you ever have a rock fight? I used to have rock fights. When I, was a kid. I mean, like, I, we loved, you didn't? Nelson, come on, you did worse than that. Huh? <laughs> Probably you did it with yard darts or something. Um, I don't know who came up with those yard darts. <laughs> They're this big, right? You had to get them in a circle. <laughs> uh, okay. But at the end of that, he, he appeared into heaven and he, and he said, Lord, don't lay this to their charge, right? What was that? That was genuine faith. All things are under his feet. We don't yet see them now. But Lord, increase our faith. And Lord, I want my faith to be genuine. Genuine. Thank you, Lord, for the warfare. Thank you, Lord, for those prophecies and those things that have been declared ahead of us that we see so we seem so far from because it provokes us and haunts us but we say God you are my deliverer you are my shield you are my fortress you are my savior you are my help I cannot get through this warfare I can't get to where you said you want to take me Except you do this in me. Let the prophecies haunt you. Let those little things like, I don't want to be offended, haunt you. To say, Lord, please work this in me. So that it's genuine. Amen.
very good this morning. Appreciate the clarity. I um, a lot of good things. Very clear this morning. I hope we understand that um, we're not getting better. Um, we'd like to get better, and better sometimes looks good, but uh, that's not what God is doing. Um, he's He's trying to make something real, put something real in us, something that will last and will stand through anything. Um, and uh, I would use the word that David used, but it's got too many vowels and consonants. So I like the word real. Instead of opening myself for a lot of mockery. <laughs> you do get smarter sometimes the more you get up here. A little bit. I try to avoid certain things. Um, but, um, you know, the, this is a. Uh, um, well, the only way to for God to put that in us is uh, to be dependent on Him, and that that is what this whole thing is about. He's bringing us to a place where we learn that we need full dependency on Him, because otherwise we don't know how to do this. We we try and we fail every time. Um, we come up with a lot of good ideas, and and that's not the work of God. The work of God is to bring us to a place where we understand that we can only succeed, um, whatever that means, doesn't always look like success, but we can only succeed when we are fully dependent on Him. And His Son had to demonstrate that when He came to the earth. He didn't come knowing everything and knowing exactly what to do, um, but He Himself had to submit Himself to the voice of God and the will of the Father and do what the Father did, and that is how He was able to walk through this earth and be an example, uh, and show us uh, how to let that work, that God is working in us to be performed in our lives. And you know, it's interesting that one of the last things that uh, Jesus told his disciples was uh, there when he was talking to Peter, and he said, Peter, when you were young, you would get up and you would go wherever you wanted to. But when now that you are older, you will stretch out your hand that's important that you stretch out your hand. Someone is not going to come grab you and drag you, but you stretch out your hand and take you to a place where you would not. That's the only place that we can be taken to that will allow that work to be performed in our lives and that will make this thing to be a genuine, a real thing that happens in our lives. Very good this morning. Appreciate the clarity.